there is this incredible passage of scripture that is quite telling about the human condition. Uh, it's an amazing passage that says something like this. It says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And then it goes on to talk about how the, the craving for money has caused many people to wander from the faith. And in doing so, they have, because of their craving, because of doing so, they have pierced their lives with all sorts of pains. Uh, that money has caused a lot of problems for a lot of people. I, I read a story just recently about a, a French man who uh, four years ago had, uh, had a stomach condition that, that really messed him up. Uh, he had this mass in his stomach and, and it had got, grown so large that it, it, his stomach literally fell through his body, if you will, and, and it landed in between his hips and it caused his hips to begin to separate. It was incredibly painful. And, and so, of course, they eventually rushed him into the ER and, and they ended up keeping this man for four or five days. And on the fifth day, they say, because the mass is so dense and we can't figure out what it is, we have to cut you open to discover the problem. And, and, and so they roll the guy into surgery and they cut him open. And what they found was absolutely astonishing. This French guy had swallowed over 350 French coins. That was like 12 and a half pounds. It translated into about 650 US dollars. And this man, because of his cravings, because of his thoughts about money, he, he swallowed money. Now I get it, not too many of us have swallowed a bunch of coins, but let's be honest. The love of money, the craving of money, the running after money has caused a lot of problems for a lot of people. But the scripture's clear. It's not money. Money's not the issue. It's the love of money. The God of the universe wants you to take care of yourself. The God of the universe wants you to take care of your family, your kids. He, he wants you to put clothes on their backs and food in their bellies. And, and, he, and he wants you to put a roof over their head. He, he wants this for you. But it's when our desires begin to cause us to make poor decisions. It's when our desires cause us to, to do something stupid, to run after something and to at the neglect of other parts of our life. You know, it's, it's like the idea of a hammer. You know, I, I'm a builder. I build things for a living. And, and a hammer can be a, a great tool in the hands of the right person. But that same hammer can be used to pound somebody into the ground, right? And, and, and so really it's the heart that holds the hammer. It's the heart, it's the motivation of the one who holds the hammer that determines whether or not it's a good or an evil thing. You see, the idea of money is that is that you can use money to worship or you can worship money. There's an old saying that says that money is a wonderful servant. It's an incredible servant, but it is a poor master. Money can serve you well, but you never want it to master you. So we need to change the way that we think about money. Growing up, I grew up around my grandfather. Like many of you, uh, my grandfather was born in the Depression era. He, he, he lived through the Great Depression, and it really affected his way of thinking. Uh, when I was uh, about 13 or 14, I think it was, my family went to go live in my grandfather's house as we were waiting to move into our own house. And we ended up being there for like, I think around six or eight months or something like that. And, and it was crazy uh, because he thought so differently about money than, than let's say I did, right? Uh, I think his depression era upbringing really affected his mind because when we were living at his house, he lived in Wyandotte. And you know those city houses, those city lots there, they, they were tiny. They're 40, maybe 50 feet wide, 50, 60 feet deep. And every square inch of the backyard was a garden. I mean, you walked out the back door and there were like plants everywhere. And he's like, don't step there because it's my tomato plant. Don't step there. It's like my radishes. I mean, every square inch was a garden. And uh, he would buy like canned goods and stack them up to the ceiling. He would buy, he would even buy bread in bulk and would throw, end up throwing it away, which is sort of funny because you were meant to save money, but uh, he would end up throwing it away because he couldn't eat it fast enough. It was crazy. You see, because I would say to my grandpa, I'd say, Grandpa, you work at GM. You're a foreman at GM. You make great money, but you live like you are in, in desperate poverty. What's going on? And my grandfather would say this. He would say, you never know when the depression will come back. 
You never know when the bottom is going to fall out. And so his thinking about money was so different. He saved everything. He, he hoarded it and, and he guarded it very, very closely. And I remember this one time. It was crazy. My, my grandfather sent my brother and I up to the attic to get these buckets, these five-gallon buckets. And so we climbed the stairs to get up to the attic, and the place was a mess, and all kinds of old stuff up there. And, and we found all these five-gallon buckets, and they had lids on them, and, and he wanted us to drag them down, and they were really, really heavy. We were young teenagers. We could barely move the things, and we'd drag them downstairs, and we'd peel open the lids. And inside of these buckets, were they were filled with old coins that he collected from the 1910s, 20s, and 30s. It was crazy. It literally fill four or five buckets to the top with these old coins and we I remember dumping them out and we were going through and I was thinking where did you get all these and you see my grandfather when he was a kid he used to uh, uh, live in the city and and they had like these postmen that were supposed to be delivering mail and they would give him coins to run mail and they just paid him a little bit each day and he would save all these coins and and he spent his lifetime hoarding these coins and most of these coins it was probably ten thousand dollars in face value but worth hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in value because they were mostly old gold and silver coins. It was crazy. And, and he would say, uh, one day these are all going to be yours. One day I'm going to give this to all my kids and grandkids. But, but we would say, Grandpa, you're crazy for keeping this stuff in your house. You need to have this in a safe. You need to have this in a bank or something. No, no, no. I don't trust banks. we got to keep it here and all that. Well, here's the funny part of the story, or really the sad part of the story. Um, my grandfather had uh, this crew in to do some remodeling in his house and we go back up later to look at the coins again and they're all gone. They're all gone. They were stolen. We don't know where they went. They just disappeared. But this is how life works. The scripture teaches us that the more we try to hold on to something, the more it passes through our fingers. It's like wind, trying to grab wind. It just passes right through. And we can spend a whole lifetime thinking that we got to get, 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 and get in order to have more out of life. But the scripture teaches us that we need to think about money differently. It's not how much we get. It's how we think about it that brings joy and satisfaction into our life. And we're starting into the book of Ecclesiastes again in our old school series today. And Solomon, King Solomon, the richest man that the world has ever known, probably lived the most lavish lifestyles that the world has ever known, says that if you think wrongly about money, you will never, ever be satisfied. All right. Welcome back to our Old School series. And Old School is our journey through the Old Testament part of the Bible. Many, many years ago, we started at the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. And we have been traveling kind of straight through it. We do several legs of Old School each and every year. Uh, And one of the reasons we keep coming back to the Old Testament part of the Bible is because we want to see how the story of God unfolds. We just want to see how it all plays out. We want to to learn the character and the nature of God. And we want to see where... Ultimately, where you and I fit into the story of God. And this idea of old school is a little bit different for us. We approach the Bible in a little bit different sort of a way. We, we just kind of take it and go straight through with it. And so whatever it talks about, we talk about. We let it determine the topics. We let it determine the conversation. We let it determine the, the, the learnings. You see, one thing you have to know about the life of our little church here is that we believe that the Bible is God's word to us. We, we believe it. And, and we believe that you can't just pick and choose which parts you're going to embrace. We, we, don't, we, we believe that you don't just say, I like a little bit of this, but I don't like a little bit of that. And so we say, if we're going to follow, we have to follow all of it. And so we're just trying to work our way through. And whatever it leads us to, we want to learn to embrace. We want the word of God to breathe life into our soul. Amen? Y'all with me on this? And so today we're picking up in the middle of the Old Testament book called Ecclesiastes. And uh, this is what we do in this series is I ask you to follow along. And so if you have a Bible or if you have a smartphone with a Bible on it, why don't you just look up Ecclesiastes right now? Why don't you just jump over to Ecclesiastes? If you have a smartphone, all you got to do is Google Ecclesiastes. There's the spelling of it. And it will like magic just it'll It'll appear there. It's just crazy, okay? And so follow along. We're going to be in chapter... Five And so today, 
as you're finding that, I want to warn you. We are going to be talking about money. About money. Right now, in this room, people are going, see, honey, I told you. Right there. That is just how the church is. They're always wanting our money. They're, they're after our wallet. And you know how that's all they ever care about is money, money, money. Now, listen, friends. You know if you've been around here for any length of time, that is just simply not true. I do care about your money, but not for the reasons that you think. Not at all, friends. Um, money is important to us. Money is a big part of our lives. As, as a matter of fact, um, this is how we think about money in our church. It's so crazy. I was thinking about this this week. It is so crazy different than almost any other church I've ever been a part of or even ever heard of. Do you guys realize that we have been in a building project around here for two years? We have bought and remodeled, a, and I mean sweetly remodeled, a 66,000 square foot building right down the road. And listen to this, listen to this. We haven't asked you one time for an extra penny. Now, some of y'all are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, listen, if you are familiar with church life or nonprofit organizations or even the government, anytime they need something, they just come to you for more, right? We haven't done that. Our approach has been to live within our means, to pay as we go, and to borrow according to our income. That's what we, we believe, and that's the way we've been handling here. So it is a different way of thinking about money. Y'all good with that? And so today, we're going to talk about money, but not the giving kind of a talk that you normally expect at the first of the year. And some of y'all going, honey, I thought we had to leave, right? <laughs> no, 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 stick with me here. Uh, I, I want us to think about money differently. I, I want us to learn how to approach money differently. I want to talk about how we use money and, and how it often uses us, how we control money, and sometimes how it controls us. And, and so I want you to remember as we jump into the book of Ecclesiastes again, we're right in the middle of the book, and you got to remember that the book of Ecclesiastes is one of the most ancient pieces of human literature that the world has. This is literally one of the oldest writings in all of humanity. It's about 3,500 years old. It's incredible that when we read this today, you'll think that this could have been written up in Money Magazine. You'll, you'll literally think it was written today for people today. There is no relevance lost at all. And we've got to remember that the man writing this book is a man named King Solomon, right? And by all accounts, all historical accounts, King Solomon is considered to be one of the richest men who who lived in ancient history. His lifestyle was lavish beyond dreams. Uh, he wanted for nothing. Whatever he desired, he took into his life. He did not deny himself anything. But we're going to learn that while Solomon took and took and took financially, lavishly into his life, at the end of it all, he says, it was still not enough. It was still not enough. There was something broken, something shallow, something missing in a man who had literally everything. And so the man who had all the money in the world is going to teach us some incredible insights about how we should think about money, how we should approach money with, with our lives. And one of the things that King Solomon is going to teach us today, it, it, this is my little take on it, okay? And you may want to write this down, that, that money is a good servant but a bad master. Money is a good servant, but a terrible master of our lives. Solomon begins with informing us that money is not the secret to happiness. Pause. We live in America. Money is told to us from the time we are young, sold to us as the secret to happiness, right? And Solomon says, uh-uh. Coming from a guy who has all the money that anybody could ever desire, it is not the secret to happiness. Not saying money's bad. We're going to learn that. He did not say money's bad. Right? He says money can be a very good thing. But what he's going to teach us is that it's not the secret to happiness. And here's where he begins. We're going to begin in verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10. We're picking up right in the middle of the book. He says this. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is, say this word, meaningless. He, he says it like this. You may want to write this down. The more we have, the more we want. And he repeats this word love twice in that opening verse, right? He, he's wanting us to understand something, that money is not the problem. It's the love of money that's the problem. It's when it becomes the driving force of who you are, when it becomes the end-all and the be-all of your life, when you look at it for gratification and for significance and for purpose and for hope, that's when he says your life begins to fall apart. 
It's been said this before, that money makes a lousy lover. The more you love it, the less it satisfies. The more you focus on it, the less it delivers. And I think that is true. And yet most Americans, and let's be honest, most of us in this very room, we think, well, I'd like to try. I'd like to have a little bit more. We, we often are tempted to think that it is the key to our happiness. We, we're, we're tempted to think that if we get more of it, that somehow we'll be more satisfied with life. And Solomon's going to raise a giant red flag and say, no, 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 no. It's just not the case. Oh, come on, let's just be honest. How many of y'all played the Powerball this week? That 650? I, I heard on the way in it was approaching $900 million. Woo! That'd be nice. And some of y'all are stuck into thinking, if I just win this, all my troubles are gonna go away. You're just gonna have new ones. You're just gonna have new ones. Now, it'd be nice to win, and if y'all win... Remember who's your pastor? You know what I'm saying? Who's giving it to you every week? Come on. I'm just saying, right? But, but we think that all our troubles are going to go away, and they're just not. We're just going to trade them for a new set of troubles. John D. Rockefeller, you remember this guy? Uh, he was an Ohio native. He started the Stanford Oil co- uh, Company, which ended up at, uh, being split up into Chevron, Enron, and BP, and all. I mean, literally, all, almost all the world's foundational oil companies were all started by one guy. It's amazing, right? He was the first billionaire ever on the planet. Now, considering that he was a billionaire in the early, very, very early 1900s, that's a lot of money. If you adjust his fortune at his height for inflation, get this, he would have been worth 300 and $40 billion in today's money. That's four times more than the richest guy on the planet, Bill Gates, right now. That's rich by any measure, right? And, and, and he was asked in this interview one time, he was doing a sit-down interview in one of the uh, big papers, and the, and the uh, uh, newspaper reporter was trying to get at the driven nature of Rockefeller. You know, just what it took to build this kind of kingdom, right? This kind of empire of money and power, right? And and they ask him a very simple question. They say, well, well, J.D., how much money is enough? And J.D. responded very simple. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And let me tell you something, friends. If John Rockefeller um, felt that it wasn't enough, When are you going to feel it's enough? When are you ever going to feel content, satisfied, that that somehow you have been blessed more than enough? There's an interesting, a bunch of interesting research between this relationship between happiness and income, happiness and money. It fascinates me. This kind of stuff uh, is very, very interesting to me. There's been all kinds of studies to show that there is no correlation between rising income and rising happiness in your life. As a matter of fact, one of the great researchers in this field is a guy named uh, Richard Easterlin, and he is a professor at Southern California University. He's a professor of economics there. He's one of the world's foremost researchers about the correlation of money and human habits. And uh, he, he writes this. This is an interesting quote. He says, there is, quote, no significant relationship between happiness and money. If you follow a single person over time as they move from lower income to higher income, you find no increase in their happiness. Now, what's even more remarkable this, he was involved with a study through Forbes magazine. Forbes is kind of this magazine for people with a lot of money, right? And they come out with this um, issue every year called Forbes 400. It's the 400 richest people on the planet. And, and they, one year, they issued a kind of a survey to the 400 richest people, and most of them responded. They literally walked through this kind of a sociological survey with the 400 richest people in the, in the, in the, in the whole world, and they asked them about their relationship between money and their happiness. And they asked them about their satisfaction in their marriages, with their kids, with their friendships, uh, with their possessions. And it was all this about how you measure somebody's contentment and satisfaction with life. Then... They took almost the same questions, adjusted a little bit sociologically, and they asked some of the poorest people in the entire planet, the Messiah tribe in Kenya, Africa, and the Intuit people in northern Greenland, both of whom have no running water, no toilets, and no electricity. And they basically compared the results of the same kind of a sociological inquiry. And guess what they found? 
there was virtually no difference in the levels of life satisfaction, life contentment, and life hope. Isn't that amazing? I mean, when you read something like that, when you hear something like that, it just blows my mind because we think, we think a little more will make me happy. If I just get something else, a little bit more, everything is going to be okay. Now, let me say this, friends, very directly, that money is a great necessity of life, and I, for one, wish I had more of it. I really do. I mean, let's be honest, money does help in a lot of areas of our life. But at the same time, apparently, according to the 400 richest people on the planet, it doesn't buy you any more happiness. It can buy you stuff, and it can make some things easier in life, but it can't truly fill the soul. There's an old saying, you may have heard it, it says something like this, money can buy you a house, but it can't make you a home. Come on, y'all hear that? Money can buy you a house, but it can't make you a home or a family. And Solomon says, take it from me, the man who had it all, the man who, who's done it all, the man who holds nothing back from his life. And he says, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Money can't do for you what you think it can do for you. He says to us that you gotta think differently about money. It takes more than money to be complete. It takes more than money to be satisfied. And the problem is, is that we don't believe him. We think it'll be different for us that, that if we just had a little bit more, we would not be so miserable. If, if we had a little bit more, my husband wouldn't be such a jerk, right? If we had a little bit more, I would be more satisfied with my relationship with my kids, with my friends, with my church, with my God. We think if we had more, 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 that we would have a more soul, more of a soul. And there's no correlation, Solomon says, to that at all. Now, let's be honest, though. If you won this little lotto thing coming up, um, let me know. Uh, but, but, if you, but if you win that deal, it'll buy you happiness for a little while. I'm not going to deny that. Nobody will deny that. You'll be like walking on clouds for a little bit. But let me tell you, eventually your feet will slip through those clouds and you will come back down to earth because money can't do in our soul what we think it can do long term, right? I mean, you look at this. You, you, you just look at, the, look at the rich and the famous among us. Look at Hollywood. Look at the, the rock stars and the rap stars and the athletes of our world. They have everything. They got all the money in the world. They got all the homes in the world, the nicest cars, the nicest clothes, the nicest bodies, the nicest look. They're married to the nicest looking people. Everything's the best of the best. Do you see any correlation with happiness? I mean, there's not a day that goes by that we don't read. Not all of them, of course. But there's not a day that goes by that you don't hear a new scandal of drugs or alcohol or affairs or divorce, right? Right? Because there's something that is missing. And Solomon makes this inescapable conclusion that, that money and possessions are hebel. Remember what hebel is? It's the Hebrew word for meaningless. It's vanity. That you can chase it all day long, but it's chasing wind. It'll never fill you up. It's like wind going through your hand. You can get it. But it tends to have a way of disappearing from the soul. And Solomon says, be warned about this. Remember that money is a good servant, but it is a bad master. And we can, we can either worship with our money or we can worship money. You gotta make a choice about how you're gonna think about this thing called money. It's very, very important. Um, and so he says, the more we have, the more we want. And now he's going to say something else to us. He says, the more we have, the more we spend. Solomon states that, that when you have a lot of money, you tend to spend even more, even more than you have. Look at what he says. He says this in verse 11. As goods increase, as your wealth, as your material wealth increases, so do, a lot, uh, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are, though, are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? Solomon says, as soon as you get it, it seems to go out the window, and it seems to be there, right there, people taking it out the window, and the only thing that's good for the owner is that you get to look at it and pay the bill, right? That's, all, that's what he's saying there. Now, do you all remember this guy? Do you guys remember this guy? His name is M.C. Hammer. Come on. He, he was a huge rap sensation in the 1990s. Now, I want you to look at this guy closely. This guy literally earned hundreds of millions of dollars. That guy earned hundreds of millions of dollars, came from nothing and earned hundreds of millions. His very first single 
earned him over $33 million. His very first number one hit earned him over 30. And you guys remember that? It's hammer time. <laughs> remember that? He got those big gold pants that were like a bat. And it was like, whoa, you know. And then he came out with his, uh, you got to pray just to make it today. Come on. You guys know you're jamming it. Come on. You know you're jamming it. Look at this. Look at this. Um, he was so popular that he had his own like Chia Pet type doll. I mean, this is a true story. And they were selling these things everywhere. This is an amazing thing. Look at that. How many of you cool people have your own doll? I mean, you don't have a doll. I mean, but let me ask you this. What person who has his own doll can't be happy? There must be something really wrong with a man's soul if you can't be happy if you got your own doll after you. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, Hammer, though, right now is broke. I just read a whole bunch of articles about him. It is amazing what's going on in this guy's life. He is broke. He has been in trouble with the law. He's been in trouble with the IRS for the last 10 years of his life, and he doesn't have hardly two pennies to rub together. It's amazing. Now, and they asked him in a couple of these articles, well, how did you go broke? And he said, it was very simple. I had to feed the world. He didn't mean the world. He meant his friends, right? He said this. He goes, I bought a private helicopter for myself. Because you need a private helicopter for yourself. But he had a private helicopter for himself. And then he said, but my posse couldn't come along with me. So I bought two. Right? And that was the story of his life. There, there's a proverb in, in the book of Proverbs that said, in chapter 19, verse 4. This is just sort of my loose interpretation of it. It says, the more loot you get, the more looters show up. Right? <laughs> uh, there is never a shortage of people who will love to help you spend your money. Am I right? And it doesn't, isn't it funny when you get something nice and you're kind of the cool kid on the block for a week, isn't it amazing how everybody wants to try it out? It's just the way it goes. And this is what Solomon says. There's never a shortage of people who want to take it from you. Uh, you, you got to look at your stuff uh, uh, you only get to look at your stuff while everybody else enjoys it. And, and so, and this is true for all kinds of people. I, I was doing some research this week. It's amazing. Willie Nelson, Mike Tyson, George Foreman, Alvin Iverson, Nicolas Cage, all of which made over $100 million in their life. And all of which are actually in the red right now. It just blows my mind. And the list goes on and on and on because they spent more, because they had more. And they couldn't rein in their desires. Uh, and all these people complained about this universal trait that happened, that everybody came after their money. In other words, money brings out parasites and leeches. Money managers, wealth managers, bankers, brokers, financial consultants and lawyers, and tax consultants and accountants, household employees, relatives, friends, leeches and parasites. <laughs> right? It just happens. Um, having real money uh, can be good, but it also, Solomon says, just be aware. It brings out a whole different set of struggles. And he says we need to think differently about this thing called money. Money is a good servant, he says, but it is a bad master. And so he says, the more you have, the more you spend. And Solomon goes on to teach us something else. You may want to write this one down. He says this, that the more we have is the more we worry. The more we have, the more we worry. Solomon writes it like this, verse 12. The the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Solomon has observed that people who work hard and just make the everyday kind of life, he says, you know what? Whether they got a little or a lot, they're gonna enjoy their life. They're gonna go to bed and put their head on the pillow and they're gonna get a good night's sleep. And they're gonna be content is what he's driving at here. But he says, isn't it amazing? The guy who has more than enough, when he goes to bed, his belly is aching. Maybe he ate too much or drank too much or has just too much going on in life. And Solomon seems to make this statement where he says, people can lose their peace when they have too much going on in life. Pause real quick. For us middle-class type of people, isn't that true? When you just get the wheel spinning too fast, when there's just too many things going on, even if they're good things, even if the bills are coming in because you bought things that you thought you were going to enjoy and that you can even afford, a lot of times to manage it all, 
It robs us of our peace, doesn't it? Or is it just me? The more you get, the more you own, the more stuff seems to own you. That bigger, better house, that bigger, better car. I mean, it was awesome at first, and you're like going, woo, I love this. But then all of a sudden, stress, anybody notice this? Stress starts to build up because how am I going to make the mortgage? I thought I could make the mortgage, but my hours were cut. I mean, how am I going to make the mortgage? How am I going to pay the taxes? And then you hear there's a new roof needed. It's a bigger, better house. That roof ain't 2000 anymore. It's 10000 And it catches up to you, doesn't it? And, and it finds a way into the stress of your soul, and it causes this thing called worry in your life. Now, maybe that promotion uh, wasn't so perfect after all because it comes with a whole new level of stress. Uh, Henry Ford, one of the the great entrepreneurs of all time, one of the richest men also in history, um, one of his most famous quotes was this, I was much happier when I was doing the mechanic's job. <laughs> Incredible. Um, perhaps you can relate to something like that. You see, because Solomon seems to be saying that when you don't have a lot, you don't worry about a lot. Make sense? But he says oftentimes when you get more, you worry more. It just seems to catch up. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't work hard. I'm not saying you shouldn't take on new responsibilities. And I'm not saying at all that you shouldn't earn more in life. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying be warned. The scripture says we need to think differently about money because money, it's a good servant, but it is a bad master. And you better be careful what you put yourself under, the direction that you cause for your life. You just better know what you're getting into. Um, J.D. Rockefeller, go back to him, uh, you know, wealthy beyond, uh, beyond means. By, by the age of 53, he was uh, the only billionaire in the world uh, earning over $1 million a week. And this is when milk was 15 cents a gallon. A million dollars a week when milk was 15 cents a gallon. But, but what we learn, if you dig deeper into his story, by the age of 53, uh, he was a shell of a man. Uh, he lived almost like a hobbit within his own mansions. Uh, he, he ate only crackers and milk, and he could not sleep because of this thing called worry. And by his own words, he said, my life is ruled by anxiety. In other words, all of this weight of this empire has done nothing but weigh my soul down. And friends, we just need to be aware that we need to think different about money. Money is a good servant but a bad master. And so the more we have, the more we worry. Now Solomon's gonna lead us to something else. He says this, the more we have, the more we hoard. You may wanna write this down. The more we have, the more we hoard. You see, the tendency of Americans is this, not just rich Americans, but Americans, is that we get wrapped up in our own pursuits. We get wrapped up in what we need next or what we want next. Let's just be honest, a whole bunch of us, as soon as we get one bill paid off, we're going, honey, what do you want next? And we just go from one bill to the next bill to the next bill to the next bill. That's just how it rolls. And we, we tend to have this idea that, that we need something more. And so we're going to hold on to what we got even tighter. And, and here's the problem with this. Solomon is leading us in a direction to think about money different. He says when you hoard money, it does something to your perspective when you hold tight to it, when you look to it for your comfort, to your satisfaction, he says, it does something to your perspective. He says, ultimately, that it takes your eyes off of the blessings and the one who blesses you. It changes you on the inside. Here's how he says it. He says this in verse 13. He, he says, he, he's talking about this idea that there is something that's like a cancer to the soul. He says, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. In the end, he talks about this self-driven, this greed-drivenness inside of man that only ultimately hurts the one who's trying to hold on to money. There's an old saying that says something like this. He goes, uh, he who has no money is poor, but he who has only money is poorer still. Y'all get that? There's a lot of truth in that. The truth is, is that we show what we love in this life by what we do with what we have. Uh, if we are generous and we learn to put God first in our life, when we learn to take care of others with our money, we, we, we have this peace that God brings. Uh, but, but friends, if we choose to hoard, Solomon says, I've seen it. I've done it. When, when it's all about you, you're gonna be the one who's hurt in the end. And he says, so you gotta think about money differently, Right? 
We can either worship with our money or we can worship our money. The very next couple of verses, it's interesting, Solomon begins to talk about how money, it can be right there and it just can slip right through our hands. He talks about this idea of one bad investment. He talks about this one bad decision that can cost you so much, right? Uh, you can lose it all. We, we can try to protect our money and hoard our money, kind of like my grandpa did. Uh, and yet, he says, we're vulnerable. We're still vulnerable. You can do everything you can. Even the rich among us can do everything you can to hold tight to it, but you can't control the stock market. You can't control some thief who comes in and takes it from you. You can't control, listen, you can't control a health crisis in your life or an accident crisis in your life. And all that you saved quickly just goes away and becomes a little less important to you, right? Um, the more we have, Solomon says, the more that we hold or hoard in our life. Uh, but now Solomon says we've got to think differently about this. He says the more we have, he says the more that we leave. You know, the more that you have, the more you actually leave behind. Solomon says we need to think different because you can't take it with us. This is what he says in verses 15 and 16. Follow along. It says, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. As everyone comes, so they, what? Depart. In other words, you can't take it with you. Naked you came in, naked you go out. They take nothing from their toil that they, have car- that they carry in their hands. This, too, is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what uh, and what do they gain from it? Since their toil is for the wind. Now, I don't know if you, you've heard this or not, uh, this story or not, but uh, there was this really rich guy who um, you know, was all fancy, had all kinds of money, had all these people working for him, and he came down with a very serious illness, and he was going to die. And, and so he wanted to do something about his impending death, and so he gathers up all his money managers, and he orders that they liquidate all of his assets, and they turn his money into gold bars. And so they bought all this gold, and he ordered them to put these gold bars into these suitcases. And when he was to die, he says, I want to be buried with my suitcases full of gold. And so when he dies, uh, they you know, bury him in it with his suitcases all full of gold. And, and as the story goes, um, he, he, he dies and he goes to this place called heaven and he's in line to get in and all of a sudden it's his turn. He's all finely dressed and he's carrying these two big old suitcases and he comes up, you know, to, waiting his turn patiently. He comes up to the pearly gates and, and he's met there by St. Peter none, nonetheless, right? St. Peter's meeting him there and he's so excited to get into this, you know, gate and, and uh, St. Peter puts his hand up and says, Hold on a second here. What's in the packages? What's in the suitcases? And the guy was so excited, he, he gets down and he unzips it and he opens them both up and he says, pure gold, pure gold and lots of it. And, and, and Peter looks at this and he, he just gently responds and says, well, okay, I mean, you can, you can bring those in with you, but I just don't have any clue why anybody would want to carry around road pavement all of, for all of eternity. Streets of gold. Don't you guys in the back get it? That was funny. Come on. Come on. Well, Solomon points out that naked we come and naked we go, right? Uh, We even have coined a phrase about this idea of how we come into this world. When somebody's running around naked, we're like, he was in his birthday suit right? Uh, And and so this is how it works. Proverbs 23, uh, verses 4 and 5, it says it like this. This is incredibly profound. It says, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it's gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle and then flies toward the heaven. Now, I don't know if you know this, but if you were to take out a dollar bill, there's an eagle with spread wings on the back. Now, I don't know if it was meant to be biblical or not, but it's incredibly biblical because the dollar bills that I hold, I got four kids. They spread wings and they fly away. The dollar does, the $10 does, the first $100 does, and the next $1,000 do, right? It's just the way it goes in life. Um, It just flies away. It just flies away. And Solomon's saying, you can't take it with you. Every year, Forbes magazine, it publishes this special report on top-earning dead people. Top-earning dead people. It's amazing what these people earn, and they're dead. Uh, uh, Last couple years, Elvis, John Lennon, Charles Schultz, George Harrison, Albert Einstein, and Michael Jackson were all in the top 10 earners in the world for dead guys. 
It's incredible the amount of money they earn. Uh, th- these men earned a whole bunch of money when they were alive, and, and their estates are still producing a whole lot of income. But, but Solomon says, but you've got to remember, that's all good and fine. He's not taking anything away from that. But he says you've got to understand the heart of the matter is that you're not going to take it with you. Despite all of your hard work, despite all of the efforts you make, it's going to slip away from you one day. And he says if you are obsessed with money in this life, if you're banking on your eternity because of the money you have built up, he says you are banking the wrong thing. Andrew Carnegie, um, he, he, he was a steel magnet. He was a contemporary of, um, of Rockefeller and uh, also one of the richest men on the planet at the time. And, and he was kind of famous for being miserable. And uh, he, he would say this. He, he would say millionaires seldom smile. Millionaires seldom smile. And he, he was saying that money can't console your loneliness. He, he was saying that money can't take away illness of the soul, or the hardships of the soul. He, he said affluence cannot take away the dark cloud that overshadows our lives so often. Pause. True or not true? I think it's true. I think it's true that we can get and get and get and still have a deep hole in our soul. Um, well, how's all that for encouraging trip to church? Come on. So that's the bad news, uh, but Solomon gives us some good news, okay? And, and we're gonna turn the corner because he, he, he says uh, there's, there's an answer we're looking for. He, he says that the satisfaction, don't, don't mistake the message. He's saying that money is okay. We're gonna learn this in a second but it's not where satisfaction's found. He says it takes something more. And the richest guy in ancient history says that God is the source for happiness in this life. Okay, this is incredible. So listen to this. We could say it like this. So he says, treat, write this one down, treat money as a gift from God. He says, treat money as, as if it came from God, that you're responsible before God with this money that it's a gift from him for you to enjoy. Um, You you might think uh, that work kind of stinks in life. Like, oh, I gotta get up every day and go to work. You might, you know, it might be a drudgery to you. Some of you are chronically unemployed because you simply don't like work, right? (laughs) Hate to say the truth in church, but, um, (laughs) but, but a lot of us, we think work is a curse. It is a great gift from God. It is a great gift from God. The ability to do something with your mind, the ability to do something with your hands, the the ability to create something good for the community to enjoy around you is an incredible gift from God. This is what it says, yeah, amen? Uh, Here's what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 18. Listen to this. It says, this is what I I have observed to be good. So Solomon says, out of all that bad stuff, this is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat to drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome, uh, toilsome labor under the sun during their few days of life that God has given them, for this is their lot. He says that God has given you, has been good to you by giving you this thing called work, and, and you shouldn't complain about your work all the time. You shouldn't compl- complain about your boss or your company all the time. He says, he says what, what we say around here all the time, I think that if you're a Christian in this room, that the people working with you, the people in your company, should literally see you as some of the best employees that this company has. People working with you should see uh, you as some of the people that they want to work around the most. Because we realize, if you're a Christian in this room, that work is a gift from God. That it's a blessing from him so that you can take care of yourself and your family and your needs and be generous with the world around you. Um, Christians should be at the top of the workforce because we have this different way of thinking about the blessing that God uh, brings into our life. So he says work is a blessing, but then he says this, moreover, listen to this, verse 19, this is so good. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions, he's mentioning God again, he says when when God gives wealth and possessions, and, and by the way, this is talking about you. Oh, I'm not wealthy, Jay. I'm telling you that right now. Oh, no. He's talking about men and women like you and me in this room. As a matter of fact, if you earn in America just 
$20,000 in a year, which most of us in this room would say is not very much. But if you earn $20,000 in a year in America, you are in the top 3.65% wealthiest people on the entire planet. Does that change something? As a matter of fact, I looked it up very specifically. You are the 219th million, 13,152 millionth richest guy on the entire planet if you're earning $20,000 a year. As a matter of fact, it takes the guy in Zimbabwe 19 years to earn what you earn in a single year. You are the rich guy he's talking about. You are the guy God has chosen to bless. Amen? Here's what he says. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, and the ability to enjoy them, to accept, the, uh, to accept their lot and to be happy in their toilsome life or, or, or in their toil, listen, this is a gift of God. He says it's a gift from God. The blessings that you and I enjoy, when we look around the rest of the world, it is an unbelievable blessing to be born where we have been born, to be given the economic freedoms we have been given in this life. Amen? And then in verse 20 it says, but they, they seldom reflect on their days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. In other words, um, these blessings are meant to satisfy us. They're meant to, to make our hearts glad. But you say, well, I work for it. Well, yeah, you work for it. But don't forget the one who gives you the ability to do work. Yeah, you worked hard. I work hard. But it's God who planted me here. It's God who's given me these hands and this mind to work with. It's God who's given us the economic system that we, we have in this nation to enjoy. Don't forget the blessing. And listen, don't forget the one who blesses us, he says, because it comes from God. And, and, and so somehow Solomon is saying that we need to enjoy the wealth that God has brought us without leaving God out of the picture. He says, this is the way we got to think about money, that we can enjoy the gifts, but don't forget the giver. There's a story of a rich industrialist who came across a very simple fisherman, and, and the rich man was kind of perturbed to see this fisherman, like, kind of sitting next to his boat, and, you know, middle of the afternoon, just kind of hanging out, not doing anything, and, and, and so this rich guy comes up to this fisherman who had his feet up and just enjoying a lemonade and all that, uh, and, and says, um, well, why aren't you out fishing? I mean, it's the prime of the day. You've got to get out there and fish, he demanded. And then the guy who was sitting on the ground, the fisherman, says, well, because I've caught enough fish for the day. Um, but, but, the, but the rich business guy, he wasn't having that. He says, well, why don't you go out and catch some more? And, and the fisherman says, well, what would I do with more? And, and, and the, fisherman, or the rich business guy says, well, if, if you caught more fish, then you could sell them and you could get more money. Then you could buy a better boat that would send you out deeper into the waters and, and you could catch more fish. And then the guy said, well, what would I do with all those fish? And he goes, well, I just told you, you could sell them and you could buy more boats. Maybe you could hire some people and buy better nets and you could catch even more fish and then you could earn even more money. And then the fisherman says, well, what would I do with all those fish? And then the rich business guy kind of goes, well, then you could you know, earn so much money that you could sit back and enjoy life. And the fisherman says, what do you think I'm doing right now? Right? And listen, friends, the, 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 the lesson here, the scripture here is not, not at all about that money cannot buy you happiness. That's not what it's about, but rather that money is not the source of our happiness, that it's not the source of our joy, nor is power, nor is the applause of men, nor is the accomplishments of life, none of those things. But God alone is the source of true happiness. Amen? So I want to just close with uh, just a, a, a little short passage, and we'll be out of here, from the, from the, uh, from the New Testament part of the Bible. It, it's found in, in the book of 1 Timothy, and I just want to read it to you. You don't have to turn over there, it'll be up on the screens for you. It's talking about us wealthy people. It's talking about people who are making the $20,000 a year or more, right? He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their what? What's the word? Come on, help me out. Not, not to put their hope in wealth. Can you read that? Are we on the same page? Okay. There we go. All right. Let me start over because I don't want you to miss this. All right, listen to this. 
just talking to us now, it says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their, what? Hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Doesn't it sound just like Solomon? Doesn't it, it sounds just like Solomon. This is like a thousand years later. It sounds the exact same advice. But to put their hope in who? God, who, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He says, command them to do what? Good. You want to know what to do with your money? Some of that good is for your family, and some of that's for the kingdom of God, and some of that's for the broken world right around you. That's what he says to do with it. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Solomon's message and the message of the whole Bible is that happiness lies outside of the things that work can buy us. The message of scripture is that happiness is somewhere else. It is found in your right relationship with God. And because of our wealth, listen, because of our wealth, we can easily miss him. Do not miss him. Do not miss him. Amen? Let's pray. So Father, we come before you um, just humbly saying thank you, thank you, thank you. You are more than good to us. You are more than generous with us. God, we, we uh, live in a land that is so blessed. It's unbelievable. Even those in this very room who are struggling today, we would even admit that we are blessed people. We are. And we thank you, God. Um, but God, we also want to say that we don't want to turn to our stuff and the blessings for our joy, for our happiness. God, we want to turn to you. And so I pray for each in this room, God, that our spirits might be drawn to your spirit, that your spirit would speak to us and that you would, you would drive us to the blesser, to the giver, not the blessings and not the gifts. God, help us to hear your voice in our life. Help us to push aside the shadow of all these blessings and help us to really go after the light. And that is a relationship with you. In Jesus' strong name, amen? Amen.